Heavenly Father, Lord, we know you are there. We know you are love. We know that all your promises are exactly what they are and that you will not fail, not for one moment. We know that your honor is staked on your word being true. And oh, how much we need the power that is therein. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for guiding us moment by moment, guiding us through thy holy word. Bless us this morning that we may be a blessing to everyone with whom we have anything to do today. This is what we ask, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you turned in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? I recited this verse yesterday, and we're just going to look at it to get us started. We're in Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verse 2. Set your affections. Actually, it's in the singular. Set your affection, set your mind, the margin says, on things above and not on the things of earth. You probably notice that this is a direct command and it's very, very practical. Yesterday we saw, if you were here, and I suppose we ought to review this just a little bit, we saw in Bible Commentary 1132, paragraph 5, human perfection failed in the garden of bliss. And why do you suppose human perfection failed in the garden of bliss? Did, do you suppose that Adam knew God? Well, yes, Adam knew God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, um, this is life eternal to know him. Did Adam know him? Yes, and he had life eternal. And the spirit of prophecy says, to know him is to love him. And there's no doubt in my mind that Adam loved God. But did Adam also know Eve? How much did he know Eve? Wow. What was it that he knew about Eve? <laughs> I bet she was beautiful. Yeah, she was created to be just what he needed. She was created to be his lover. That's what he did. And so then there came, of course, the fact that he had to make a decision between his God and between his lover. And how do we know that Adam had um, invested more affection in Eve than he did in his God? Do we know? Yes, of course. Of course, she'd found more favor than God did in his sight. And friends, the point was yesterday that he was perfect at that point, up until that point in any case. Now, may I ask you something? Are you affectionate? Oh, I hope you're affectionate. We ought to be affectionate, don't you think? It's wonderful. I have... Um, I have a little niece, she's here, but she's not here this morning, and she has a little girl two years old. And that little girl, and they stayed two weeks at my house, and that little girl would walk up to me and say, up. <laughs> and when I would pick her up, she would just cuddle. She's just all affection. It's so wonderful. It, it is wonderful. It is. Are you affectionate? I hope you're affectionate. How much affection do you have for God? Wow. 
Or have you reserved your affections for the things of this world? Is that possible? You know, it's a lot easier to bestow your affections on the things that are nearby, isn't it? It is. We saw yesterday also that angelic perfection failed in heaven. Yeah. The angels were also brought to the point of making a decision. Already in heaven, there was a great controversy between Christ and Satan, or Lucifer, uh, uh, probably at that time. And we know that Christ deserved all the loyalty and the honor and the love and the affection of the, his creation. But his creation at that point, at least the angels in heaven, were brought to the point where they, some of them, at least one, almost fully one-third, had invested more affection on the side of Lucifer and his cause than on the side of God's cause. And when they were brought to the point of making a decision, they had a hard... They had a hard time. They failed. They failed being perfect. Isn't that amazing? And to me, it's amazing. And later on, yesterday, as we were talking, we saw that an angel dragged Lot and Mrs. Lot out of the city, and he said to them, by way of instruction, don't look back. And why did she look back? It's becoming evident right now. It's becoming easy to see, right? She had bestowed all her affections on the things of this world and not on the things above. And when she was brought to make a decision, she had no power to deny herself that upon which she had bestowed her affections. She had no power. It was bigger than she was. She looked back. Well, I don't know. How much affection do you think she had for God? We know through the spirit of prophecy that she actually was not a very spiritual individual, Lot's wife. That the things of this world is that which had gripped her heart. When she was brought to make that decision, oh, how hard it was. Well, friends, it's going to be every whit as hard for us, don't you think? I mean, I'm bringing this up because I'm going to ask you this morning to look at your own heart and to judge where do you bestow your affections? On whom do you bestow your affections? The Lord is not asking us not to be affectionate, but he's asking us to put our best affections upon him. And this takes faith because we can't see him, we can't hold him, we can't hug him. Not in the literal sense. In any case, that's what's happening. And so we continue to see that there is only one power in the whole universe that will give us the ability to deny ourselves that upon which we've bestowed our affections. And that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There was not enough power in the righteousness of angelic angels or angels to keep, to, to give them the power to deny themselves. There was not enough power in the righteousness of perfect human beings so that they could deny themselves that upon which they had bestowed their affections. How in the world then are fallen human beings going to do this thing? Unless we have that same power. Yeah, and so Jesus says, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, except your righteousness, and I'd like to add this, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of, of 
perfect angels and the righteousness of perfect Adam and Eve, except your righteousness exceeds that, you cannot in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, I tell you what, it sure raises the bar really high, doesn't it? But we can have this thing. And, of course, that's what it's leading up to. That's what I want to talk about. And so we saw that Jesus came down to this world, took on life as we have to live it, with the same equipment that we have, and he met a temptation such as we've never had to meet in our lives. He had spent eternity bestowing his affection upon his Father, and he had spent an eternity receiving affection from his Father, and yet he comes to the point in this world where he has to make a decision between all the affections that he's invested and that he's received against what? Not something tempting, not something as attractive, not something as enticing, but as a matter of fact, it's worse than that. Total separation from the one upon whom he's bestowed his affection forever. Total separation, but not just total separation, but he had to endure the wrath of God against him. And he did it. He did it. And there's only one way that he could do it. There was only one power in the universe available to him so that he could do it, and that's the righteousness of God. That righteousness is the only thing that can keep us from sinning. Wow. We must have that righteousness. Now, there's a problem, and I hinted at it, I think, yesterday. My notes are too low, so I have to keep looking down. <laughs> there's a problem, and I hinted at it yesterday. It isn't that God's righteousness is hard to find. It isn't that God's righteousness is hard to get. As a matter of fact, after Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for all of our sins, he turns around and he offers to the whole human race, every single individual, he offers all of that righteousness and it is yours for the receiving. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. I don't know. If somebody walked up to you and gave you $100, all you would have to do is take the $100 and say thank you, and you have the $100. And it isn't any wise, any harder to receive the righteousness of God. It's just that way. It's a free gift from God. We may have it right now. It's not hard. We don't have to go looking for it. It's offered. It's ours. What's wrong? Except that we don't want it. Oh, we want some righteousness. We want enough righteousness to be in the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to suffer the penalty for sin. But we don't want so much righteousness that it's going to interfere with our lifestyle. We don't want so much righteousness that I, I have to be told what to eat and what not to eat and how to dress and what to do and what to say and what to think and what to watch and what to read and all the rest. We don't want that much righteousness. We just want enough righteousness to be in the kingdom of heaven. And so... Because this is so, <clears throat> the Bible says we are lukewarm. Because this is so, we are not honoring God the way God needs to be honored, the way God deserves to be honored. Do you know who God is? Do you know who you are in comparison to God? It's amazing that we think in those terms that we are here, down here in this world below. If we would stand beside God, we would, we would melt into the floor. There's no doubt in my mind. If we could see who he is and how wise and how loving and all the rest, we would give him everything. There is nothing we would deny God. That's what he's asking of us. Wow. So why did Jesus 
say, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why didn't he say, blessed are the righteous? Because there aren't any, that's why. And to this point, he's found very few people who's wanted that much righteousness. But this is what I would like to inspire us with this day. We've got to have his righteousness. Last night, I was walking back to my room after the meetings, after the booth were closed, and two ladies, young ladies, were walking beside me. And one said, your messages are very good, very inspiring. But now, she says, I'm hanging up here, and how do we do this? <laughs> and I said, well, come. Come to the meeting in the morning, and I'll show you how to do this. And so that's the quest this morning. You know, you, if you're going to preach, you've got to be practical. You've got to be able to show the people how this thing is done. This morning, we want to have God's righteousness. We've had a picture now for the last couple of days on how powerful that righteousness is. This righteousness is so powerful that Jesus Christ could deny himself the pleasures of eternity, the bliss that he's endured or, or enjoyed for eternity. He's denied himself all that affection. He was able to say no, stand his ground, and bestow all his affections upon us at the cost of everything. This is powerful. This is more powerful than anything else in the whole universe. Yeah, but how do we do it? That's the question. And this is what I'd like to share with you this morning. The, the title for this morning is simply Just a Thought. Yeah. And I turn to a little place called uh, Gospel Workers, page 161, paragraph 1. And the first two words in the very first paragraph, this is the beginning of a chapter, the first two words are the thought. Have you ever had a thought? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> yeah. How many thoughts do you have in a day? Is it hard to have a thought? If I asked you to hold a thought, do you suppose you could hold a thought if I gave you a thought? Well, there's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. As a matter of fact, I thought of this sometime like uh, 15 years ago. I was in Africa at the time. I was preaching in a little church in Africa, the congregation, 30 people or so. And I had this thought. And so I asked the congregation, if I gave you a thought, could you hold a thought? How long could you hold this thought if I gave you a thought? I said, supposing I told you that in a month from today, you come on, what's the day, August 6th, you come on September 6th, you come to my house in one month, and I will give you a brand new set of clothing, as many of you as come. How many of the people do you think would show up at my house a month later in Africa, you know there's quite a bit of poverty, especially where we were at that time in Zambia. And um, I can imagine that if I would say something like this, if I made an offer like that, that there would be more than the 30 people that were in the church. There'd be a thousand people at my door ready to, because I, they could hold that thought. They could hold that thought for a month. Friends, they could hold that thought forever. <laughs> they would be there on the date that I said, my wife and I had that experience one time in Africa. This is not part of this, but it just comes to my mind. It's called the Chocolate Riot. You remember the Rwandan massacres and all of that? Well, my wife became ADRA director there in the Magunga refugee camp in Goma, Zaire, and I went to visit her at Christmas. Well, there was an, an NGO, uh, I think, Care Spain or something like that, and they were leaving the camp, and they had seven... They had seven, they had 10,000 chocolate bars. 
that they were leaving behind. And they were going around asking, do you guys want this candy? And my wife and I said, well, sure, give us this candy. You know, there's lots of orphans, there's lots of children here. They'll enjoy them. That's the worst chocolate you ever taste in your life. In any case, it, you know, hey, you're in Africa, and, and the people were really suffering at that point. And so my wife had 66 community health workers, and she got all these community health workers to go through the camp. There's a million people there. To go through the camp and just tell the children to meet us in a certain place, and that we would give them a candy bar. That's, that's all we said. And so the community health workers went through the camp and said that, <clears throat> but when we got to the place, there was 10,000, literally, literally, there was 10,000 people gathered, but they weren't all children. <laughs> oh, no. And when I looked at this thing, I said, no, no, this ain't going to happen because we didn't bring the 10,000 candy bars. We brought about 7,000. And I said, there's too many people here. There's going to be trouble. Uh, my wife, no, no, it'll be all right. They were hard to control. We were in the back of a pickup and said, so she had her community health workers have this group sit down here. So she divided them by... I don't know if they were tribes or what, but she divided them by something. And she had them sit down, and she had a community health workers at the head of this. And they were sat down like this. And then we distributed the boxes of candy, you know. And I thought, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. And so as soon as she gave the signal to open the box, all the people got up. And they all rushed forward, and they all started grabbing, and they came to the pickup where we were, and they started grabbing, and there were little children there, and they were getting trampled, and I would jump out of the pickup, and I'd pick these kids up and put them in the pickup. I'd jump back in. There was another one that was being trampled, and, and it was everywhere. And I said to my wife, I said, grab candy and throw it behind the pickup. Throw it as far as you can. And we were picking handfuls and just throwing it, and the wave of people would go that way. <laughs> and they would dive at the candy. And we would throw more, and we would throw more. And then finally we had a driver in the pickup, and I tapped him. I said, drive, out of here, out of here. And that's what we did. We drove out, and we went out, and then we came back, and we parked the pickup in the United Nations compound, and we walked back to where we were, and it was total chaos. They had started throwing rocks. They had, you know, our community health workers' shoes were missing, watches were missing, they were beat up. And it was just like, and they were saying, why did you forsake us? <laughs> well, we were running for our own lives. Yeah. So, you know, if you tell people that you're going to be given some, especially when the people are very, very poor, they're not going to lose that thought. And that's what I'm supposed to be preaching about, right? A thought. <laughs> now, watch what God can do with a thought. We're in Gospel Workers 161, paragraph 1. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, that is, is given to us, not because of any merit on our part, not because of anything we can do, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. Is it a precious thought? How precious is it? Well, it's written here. It tells us how precious it is. Watch, watch. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth, that is, this thought, should be clearly presented. Why? For he knows that if the people receive it, that is, this thought, fully, his powers will be broken. Did you hear that? 
What would happen if you received this thought fully? You could break the power of the enemy fully. Isn't that what you've been waiting for in your life? Wouldn't you like to have the enemy's power totally broken for you? Would you like to have all the power of the universe so that you could stand up to Satan and tell him to go somewhere? Yeah. A place is already created for him. Yeah. We can do this. And how, what does it take? One thought. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Wow. And do you suppose that God has only one thought on the subject? So now, now that you know this, what are you going to do about it? May I suggest to you this morning that you memorize this thought? It's not very long. May I suggest to you this morning that you get on your knees every day and that you beg God to unwrap for you that which is contained in this thought. Friends, I, I can give you the thought, I can read it to you, but there's no doubt in my mind that your mind is not able to wrap itself around that thought that quickly. There is more in that thought that you can conceive of this morning. I believe with all my heart that you and I are going to have to get on our knees and ask God to say, to reveal to us, to uh, unfold for us what is contained in there so that we can get inspired somehow to lay hold on that thought fully. That's what it is. I would like to suggest to you this morning that you need to carry that thought in your pocket, that you need to meditate on that thought all day long, every day, as much as you can, until you fully receive it. Because when you fully received it, his power will be broken. Now, if you were the devil, what would you do about it? Yeah, that's the other half of the equation. <clears throat> we, don't have to, um, we don't have to guess at what the devil is going to do about it. It's written for us in the very same, in the very same page. Watch. If he can control minds. Control what? Yeah. If he can control what you are thinking. As a man thinks, so is he. If he can control minds so that doubt and unbelief and darkness shall compose the experience of those who claim to be the children of God, he can overcome them with temptations. Do you see where the battle is fought? Yeah. And what is it that he'd like to instill in your mind? Doubt and darkness and unbelief. That's what it says. Yeah. Have you ever complained? Do you ever criticize? Are you ever long-faced? Are you ever discouraged? What is all of that? Doubt and unbelief. And darkness. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, Nothing shall by any means hurt you. How much? Nothing. How much? Nothing. If nothing can hurt you. The Bible says, No evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. Even during the time when the last plagues are falling, thousands shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, or vice versa. Nothing shall come nigh thee. That's what it says. If you make God your habitation. Yeah. 
All things work together for good. Jesus is the order of all our experiences. Heavenly places, page 265. Ministry of healing, page 417. He orders that which his providence sees best. God loves us to the point that he's in full control of every moment of our lives and nothing comes to us but through him. And if he allows it to come through him, then it is for his cause and it is for our good. Nothing shall by any means hurt us. Why in the world should we ever be unbelieving? Why in the world should we ever be doubting? Why should we ever walk or live in darkness? Now, I understand that there are chemical reactions in our systems, and sometimes depression is not because of doubt or unbelief. I'm not talking to people who are suffering clinical depression here. I'm talking to Christians who walk around like they are not Christians. There's no reason for it. If we could see who God is and what he's done for us, if we could see what he's attempting to do with us, we would be filled with joy all the time, every day, all day long, and what power there would be in it, and what health also. Oh, I tell you, the joy of the Lord is our strength, isn't it? Yeah, it is our strength. What a blessing it would be. The battle is fought for the mind. Yeah. And you and I can receive God's righteousness. It's a gift. It's freely offered. And there's no strings attached. He's gone to the cross. He's paid the penalty. I don't care who you are today. I don't care what you've done in the past. If you've come to your senses about your relationship with God, if you've come to your God who alone can save you, if you've confessed your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to give you the gift of his own righteousness. You've got it. And all the power of the universe is right there. Do you want it? That's the question. How much of it do you want? Maybe that's a bigger question. That's what it is. The three angels' messages, of course, are full of warning. The first angel message is that the hour of his judgment is come. The investigative judgment is going on right now. The Lord is judging us to see if we're sincere with our faith, if we're actually living up to our privileges. When Jesus entered into the most holy place of the sanctuary, it was to a purpose. We are living in the antitypical day of atonement. Jesus wants to replicate himself in our lives. He's going to do this. The power is there. And sometimes we just focus on the investigative judgment. You know, there is a warning in this. And the warning is that the end, the hour of judgment has come. The end is near. It's almost over. We need to get our act together. And so the solution is... Preach the everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news. Is there more good news than what we've been hearing? <laughs> Is there more good news than, than all of this power that we see in Christ's righteousness offered to us as a free gift? There can't possibly be better news than that. Yeah, all at the cost of Calvary, the cross. Jesus did it so that we could have it. Amazing. And so that's the solution. Preach the everlasting gospel. Fear God. Give him the glory. Worship him. In the second angel's message, we are warned, of course, that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great harlot has made the whole nation drink of the wine of her fornication. And the all of the nations and all of the churches are filled with, 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 with this nonsense of a false doctrine and falsehood and lies. 
And people are running with it as if it's truth. And so we're appointed by God to bring this warning to the world. But the solution is the everlasting gospel. Fear God and not man. Give glory to him and don't take the glory to yourself. Worship him. Friends, he deserves to be worshipped. The third angel's message warns us against the mark of the beast, and the beast and the wrath of God. And the battle is for the mind. God wants to seal us with the character of God, with the seal of the living God in our foreheads. But the devil, on the other hand, wants to mark us. He wants to scar us through the principles that operate in the beast, of course. Yeah. To counter all of that, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus denied himself all the affections that he had bestowed upon him for eternity and all the affections that he'd bestowed on his father for eternity, all of that love, all of that bliss that he enjoyed for all time. He denied himself all of that, suffered the penalty of the cross. Sins crushed him. Separation broke his heart, and he was so distressed that he could no longer, after a while, even conceive that he could see through the portals of the tomb. He was going down eternally. And yet, friends, he was willing to do all of that because he set his affections on us. Amazing. It doesn't make sense. He's had a love affair with his father, you know, however gods do that, for eternity. And then there's a race that has done very little but insult him and deny him and betray him. And his affections for us overrules all the rest. That's amazing love. It really, really is. And now he is asking that we would set our affections on him and not on the things of this world. It's all talk. <laughs> you know, you, you can preach a sermon. You can bring out a concept. Inspiration comes from it. But we're still human. And we've got to leave this place and we've got to go and walk the walk. We've got to go and live and we've got to go and experience this. And there may be somebody here this morning that will say, well... You know, I've heard stuff like this before. And how hard it is to bring my life into subjection, submission. Have you ever had that, that problem? I mean, can I talk about stuff like this? Has anybody had an experience like this? Has anyone ever demonstrated this? Well, friends, we have a human demonstration of it in the Bible. It's there. Human demonstration. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And you probably know already where I'm going, I hope. Genesis 22. I'm going to the story of Abraham. We're going to start reading with verse 2 in Genesis 22. And he said, and this is God speaking to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which 
I will tell thee of. Now what's amazing to me in looking at this verse is God says, take thy son, thine only son. Did God have to tell Abraham that he had an only son? Now it's true, Abraham had another son. His name was Ishmael, but he was from a bondwoman. This was not the son of promise, so God is speaking to Abraham about the son of promise. And God says to him, take your son, your only son. Did God have to say, have to, say to Abraham, you only have one son of promise? He didn't have to say that. Did God have to say in the text, take your son, your only son, your son whom you love? Did God have to have it announced to him that he loved his son? <laughs> no. Why in the world is God speaking like that? If it isn't maybe for us may, this morning. Or to impress something upon Abraham's mind about what he's about to do. God is pointing Abraham to the affection that Abraham has for his son, and he says, I'm going to test you right now more than any man has ever been tested in the, in, in the world. And this, of course, is a test similar to what God had to experience himself. I want you to take the thing that you love the most, and I want you to sacrifice him. Wow. I don't know. In um, volume three of the testimonies, 369, paragraph one, to Abraham, no mental torture could be equal to that which he endured in obeying the divine command to sacrifice his son. No mental torture could have been worse. Yeah. I bet you it was worse for God. And so we have a human demonstration of it. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Could I have done that? I only have one son, <laughs> you know, upon whom I've bestowed my affection. Do you think I could, could you have done that? I mean, people who are not parents, maybe don't understand this. I, I have no idea. I think you could get a grasp of it somehow. It would be the worst thing ever, ever to do, to think of doing. Genesis 22, verses 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing. Now, friends, he didn't do it. <laughs> but he was going to do it. And if the angel had not stopped Abraham, he would have done it. He would have done it. He would have denied himself that upon which he had bestowed his best affection. Can you see this? Now, watch what God says. Because you would have done it. Well, he says you, di you did it. You know, he didn't carry through, but in the mind of God, it was done. Abraham did it. He suffered as much as if he had done it in any case. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven 
and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Would you like to be blessed? Here's the standard. It's right there. This is what's being asked of you. This is what's being asked of me. I have a quotation in my Bible. Eh, I think I can find it. I have it in the margin of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. You know, it says, Give and it shall be given to you. Volume 3, 369, paragraph 3. God requires all that it is possible for a man to give. How much does he require? Does that include that upon which you bestow your best affections? Yeah. That's what he called Abraham to do. Was Abraham blessed afterwards? Yeah. Friends, God will never hurt us. He'll never hurt us. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. Nothing. Especially if we come to the point where he is everything to us. Especially when we come to the point where we bestow upon him our best affections. When we can sacrifice our, we can deny ourselves anything and everything that this world has to offer, including that upon which we bestow our best affections. When we can come to that point in time, and we can't come to that point in time by ourselves, We've been preaching for three days now that unless we have the righteousness of God, there is no way we are going to deny ourselves that upon which we've bestowed our affection. No way. None. There's only one power in the universe that can give us that experience, and that's the righteousness of Christ. Don't think you can do this on your own. We've got a job to do. We can have it. One thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us, not because of any merit on our part. It's a gift from God. It's a precious thought. And if we will receive that thought fully, his power will be broken. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Uh, verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. The last time I heard someone preach that verse, wasn't very long ago, I was an audio verse or something like that, listening to, to a sermon by someone, and I don't remember who it was. What is it? that Abraham pertaining to the flesh has found, and the preacher said, he found righteousness. And I said, no. <laughs> That's not what the verse is asking. The verse is asking, what did Abraham find pertaining to the flesh? And the answer is, nothing. When Abraham looked to his own flesh, what did he find? He didn't find anything. If a man thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's what he found. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 8, verse 2 says, we know nothing as we ought to know it. 
John the Baptist says we, a man can receive nothing except it's given him from heaven. Abraham, pertaining to the flesh, found nothing. And you and I are going to find nothing if we look to ourselves or if we look to mankind. God says, cursed is the man that trusts in man. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. And so the text goes on. For if Abraham were justified by works, by anything that he could do, he hath whereof to glory. But it isn't that way. So it isn't that way before God. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Abraham loved God to the point that he could deny himself that upon which he had bestowed his best affection for God. Yeah, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but a debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Yeah. You want righteousness? Trust God. Put your whole life in the hands of God. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. We can finish. We have a couple minutes more. Stay in Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 18. Now, this is going back to receiving Isaac, his son. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, that is what God had promised, he was able to perform and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. We may have this righteousness even as Abraham had it. We may have this. Yeah. Abraham received the thought fully. God spoke, communicated a thought to the mind of Abraham. Abraham received the thought so fully that he could deny himself totally based on the promise of God. God had promised him a son. God is asking for his son. He will give him his son, believing that God will return his son somehow because God had promised. Wow. Do you have that much faith? That's the faith you need. That's the faith that this people must have. ASI, that's who we are now. Well, that's who I am now, <laughs> you know? And so I, I'm looking, I'm looking and I'm seeing, this is my family. This, this is my people. And now we've got to be inspired somehow to believe in God, to believe in who who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. And there'd be, try to imagine the power that there would be in ASI or in any organization for that matter, however big, however small. Try to imagine the power there would be if everyone in this room received Christ's righteousness fully. Faith and works, page 27. His righteousness accomplishes what? Everything. That's what it says. Well, that's what we've been studying. There's no other power. There's the only, there's only that power. 
When we receive it, we can do anything. Ellen White says, we achieve little because we attempt little. We attempt little because we expect little. We are satisfied with little success, she says. We, if we had the power of the universe, could do anything. And so I'd like to challenge you with this. However, first, bring the righteousness of God in your character. Unless you honor God, you cannot be honored of God. It goes corporately as well. Unless as a corporation, what we do is an honor to God, there can be no honor bestowed upon us. That's the challenge and that's the promise. Can we, do we want it? How many of you would like to say this morning that that's what you want? How many of you would like to tell God this morning, that's the experience I want? Yeah. Would you stand up and... Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's been a blessed, blessed time that we've had together. The inspiration is not lacking. The vision of the power and of the possibilities are overwhelming. The potential is amazing. And yet we've, we've fallen short all of our lives of realizing the potential. And it's becoming a shame to us. And we also realize how clearly close we've become to the end of time and that you still need a people by which to make a demonstration. And there maybe there's a people somewhere else, but we don't want there to be a people somewhere else. We're asking you to make us that people. We're asking for your righteousness received fully so that we may be empowered not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify you. Not because we want honor, but because we want you honored in our lives and in our ministries. And we thank you. We thank you for what our thoughts are this morning, but we want more. And we ask you to develop this thing in each one of us that's here. Bless everyone that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.